This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, we have an awesome show for you today with a good friend of mine, Casey Brooks. Casey Brooks is uh, probably one of the most distinguished bow hunters that we have uh, in the United States and in the world for that matter. Uh, Casey has already fulfilled the North American Super Slam. He's number 19 with a bow. Um, he fulfilled all 29 animals with a bow and arrow. He only hunts with a bow and arrow. He does shoot waterfowl, uh, obviously, with a shotgun. Uh, Casey likes to hunt anything with antlers. Uh, Casey loves to call turkeys, uh, chases turkeys all over the western U.S. Uh, Casey's big into duck and, and goose hunting. Uh, Casey's a great family guy. He's got two boys, uh, Bo and Justin. Uh, Casey loves to troll for salmon with herring. Uh, he, he's a real hardcore fisherman. Uh, he's killed 63 bull elk with a bow, seven bulls over 400. Uh, he's killed a 449, a 447, a 440, a 439, 413, 409, and 401 gross bulls. He's hunted in eight states. He's killed 60 Rocky Mountain elk, two Roosevelt elk, and one Thule elk. Uh, I've known Casey since the uh, late 90s when I met him down here in Arizona. He was down here. I believe he shot a 412-inch uh, bull down in uh, Unit 3C here. Uh, it's the first time I met him and his friend Michael Park. We've been friends ever since. Uh, I've had the pleasure of uh, he's come down and coos deer hunted with me in Mexico. Um, it's just an awesome guy. Went to the National Wild Turkey Federation convention this year with him and his son, Bo. And uh, uh, Casey is, is one of my good friends, and um, he's just a, a wealth of knowledge. And I um, uh, love hunting with him. He's very energetic. He's lots of fun. We have tons of laughs, uh, crack up all the time. Um, he's just a, just a great guy. He's, he's basically shot everything under the sun. I think he shot, uh, six or seven or eight sheep. Uh, he, he has the pending, not the pending, it's, uh, the new SCI, uh, world record California bighorn. Um, it's, uh, just an awesome sheep and, um, he's harvested some unbelievable blacktails with his bow and he shot for Hoyt for a number of years, and I'm just real excited to have him on the podcast today. I, I want to thank you guys, our listeners, for uh, tuning in. And um, if you have any direct questions for me or comments, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along with our adventures at jscottoutdoors.com on Facebook at J. Scott Outdoors, on Instagram at J. Scott Outdoors, my associate Dar Colburn at Dar, D-A-R-R Colburn, C-O-L-B-U-R-N. Um, just real excited to bring this episode to you, so let's just get to it. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I have good friend Casey Brooks. We just got back from southern Arizona. Casey had purchased the Arizona auction tag for turkeys and elected to go for a Gould's turkey and um, we're sitting here in my living room after hunting for a couple days and it's good to have you buddy. Thanks for having me. It's uh, gonna be fun today talking about uh, mainly archery elk hunting um, but uh, we just got off that awesome hunt uh, called those Gould's turkeys in you got in the blind and um, we set up on those birds and you went to calling and Several different toms came in, and you made a great shot when you came up to the Dave Smith strutter and uh, spun around it. Um, tell me how exciting that was. Oh, it was outstanding. We had, uh, I think, four toms going, and they were gobbling good. We had a hen that was there that just wouldn't shut up, and and uh, just a lot of action. Beautiful birds, big white fans, nice long beard on the bird. Uh, couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah, just a lot of fun, and I know you're headed to do some more turkey hunting on your way back to Washington, and I've got some more hunts coming up myself. Um, 
Casey, it's going to be awesome to have you here to um, get into that brain a little bit and and, and uh, pick some of that information that, of, of years of knowledge. 63 bull elk with a bow. Uh, number 9 or 19 on the Super Slam, Archery Super Slam. That's all North American 29 with a bow. Um, some phenomenal accomplishments. Uh, number 2 and number 3, non-typical uh, elk. Uh, with the bow, obviously everything you hunt was with the bow. Um, you know, bulls, the 449, 447, 440, 439, 413, 409, 401. You've got seven bulls over 400. It's a phenomenal accomplishment and um, just uh, proud proud of you. I've been watching you do this over the years and I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about your archery hunting. Well, thank you very much. Um, Casey, how did you get your start hunting? Well, in the old days, uh, my father would go archery hunting at like Hart Mountain looking for mule deer. And if dad couldn't get a deer uh, back in the day with your bow, then you could go with a rifle later. Um, I, I was taken into the woods at a very young age. I was brought up with my father who, who, you know, just got into hunting more or less for big game by himself. His dad was not a big game hunter. And uh, dad drug me into it through through life and life experiences going with my father is how I got into bow hunting. I, I picked up a recurve at a real young age and shot a bow and I've always been fascinated with the, you know, watching the arrow fly. Yeah, you know, um, knowing your dad and knowing how much he loves hunting, I'm sure it was pretty fun growing up with his passion for hunting and I'm sure you know, watching him grow and his experiences and then you guys getting to do it together and share those traditions uh, and then watching you hunt with your boys. Um, you know, it's just a, it's a generational thing with you guys and, and, and knowing your wife and she's a hunter and it's just, a, it's your whole family's a hunters. That's it. We all hunt. Uh, and, you know, obviously I believe that, you know, hunting with your family is a super important thing. I think anytime that you can hunt with your father or, you know, your mom, uh, you know, in some cases, like my, my sister, uh, she's a hunting fool. So her boys love hunting with, with their mother and, and my boys love to hunt with their mother, you know? So yeah, family thing. It's a big thing. Uh, last year, my son shot his first bull with a bow and arrow. And that was, that was about as exciting for me as any elk that I've ever shot, you know, and my other son, Bo, my oldest, uh, I believe he, sh- he shot several bulls now with a bow and arrow. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's fun to be there and watch them, watch them, you know, do their thing. They're, they're moving through the ranks and learning from, you know, my mistakes. I'm kind of making it a little bit of a shortcut to their success by, you know, it's easier for me to say, I probably wouldn't do it this way because I've made this mistake before. Right. And, and in bringing up your kids, um, and and your nephews and such, uh, you know, everybody's got to learn by their own trial and error and trying to circumvent some of that for them there still is the chance that they're still going to do it their way and you just have Uh, to let them do it right yeah i i agree completely i think the best way to learn is to learn from your mistakes i I think you know maybe for me to tell my son you know we don't want to get this far downwind because this and don't want to call that direction because the bull is going to come downwind uh sometimes it doesn't sink in quite like when they've got that big bull coming in and they do something wrong and then they realize what dad was talking about, you know. Yeah. So sometimes you have to see it firsthand. Casey, when did you first uh, get your get your first archery elk? Um, tell me a little bit about what you remember with your first one. Uh, my first archery elk, I'm, I'm thinking I was about 18 years old. Uh, I had, I'd hunted several years. Uh, I was shooting a bare bow with fingers, um, no sights. Um, and I remember... I was on a herd of elk. There was about 150 head in this herd, and all the big bulls got through there. All the branch bulls. I mean, heck, when I was you know young, a three-point bull was a big bull, branch antlered, you know. And all the big bulls had got by me, and I was on this trail, and I I was upset because I didn't get a shot. And I looked over, and here comes a lone spike up the rear, and I and I saw the bull was on the trail that I wanted to be on there, and he came up. And I drew my bow back, and when I drew my bow back, I was shooting a flipper two, and I was nervous. I had spasms of the lower colon, as, as you would say, you know, the, the thing, I flipped the arrow up there and got it on there. And when I did, the bull looked over and saw that movement and I double lunged him and he 
ran down and he actually dropped on an old skid road so it made it kind of nice for packing him out perfect perfect so that was your first elk and um but you had archery elk hunted a couple years prior to that and and um what was it that finally got you to get your first elk as far as was it just a matter of timing or, or did you do anything different well i did I, the main thing that i did different was location 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 you know the places that i'd been hunting elk in 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 you know the years past it just was not a great elk spot and i found a spot that was much better for elk and uh you know i i basically learned from that spot that spot is what's put me to where i'm at today i made a lot of mistakes growing up i hunted that spot i've been hunting that spot since 1982 now and i haven't missed a year that's awesome yeah one of the things that uh people know you for obviously shooting you know some giant bulls and having number number two and number three and pope and young but uh, one thing that people don't know about you is that you know you hunt multiple states every year and and you, you may go from shooting a 440 to shooting a, a 300 and that 300 may be a, a complete trophy in that area talk to me a little bit about the 63 elk with the bow and how do you juggle from hunting giant bulls to just hunting regular bulls well jay they're all elk and i love to hunt elk period uh, my goal is I like to try and shoot a six point if I can, when I go to Oregon, uh, you know, it just depends on the unit. If you're in a real, real good unit, I'll try and do the best that I can do for the unit. So, you know, if I'm in the Winnaha, I'd like to try and find a, you know, 340 type bull, you know, other places in the state that are just general draw. If I can just shoot a six point, I'd be happy with that. And you know what? They all mean the same to me. They're all a trophy in my eyes. I just love to hunt elk and I love to eat elk. Yeah, and as a family, I know you guys eat elk, and I know you guys donate a lot of uh, meat to, to, to needy families and what have you. And, and um, do you have a special way that you like to cook your elk, or, or what's your favorite preparation? <laughs> my favorite recipe, my wife, she probably gets tired of making it. On the back of the old Bisquick container, it used to have a thing called uh, cheeseburger bake. It was on the back of the Bisquick commercial, or a box, and... Uh, we call it elk burger bake because we don't use burger. We don't use normal hamburger. It's not hamburger bake. It's elk burger bake. So we just and it's fantastic. I could eat it several times a week. That's awesome. That's great stuff. Yeah, I love elk meat myself. Um, Casey, let's talk about some of the gear um, that you use. I know you've been with Hoyt for a long time. Tell me a little bit about the relationship with Hoyt. Well, in 1987 or somewhere in there. I, I, I started shooting my first Hoyt. I was running a pro shop for a good friend, Chuck Lind, and uh, Wendy Lindy Archery in Clackamas. And I shot my first Hoyt, and I've been shooting Hoyt ever since that day. Uh, I got a bow in 1992 from Hoyt when I drew a Henry Mountains buffalo tag. And in 1996, they put me on the uh, Hoyt Hunting All-Stars. And I've been on their bow hunter advisory staff ever since. Uh, I've been shooting Hoyt for one simple reason. I love the way they shoot, and they're unbelievably dependable. Uh, if I'm going to Africa or going polar bear hunting or whatever, I take one compound bow with me, and I don't have any wor worries in the world. I remember a few years back, I was actually hunting blacktails in a super thick spot, and I was taking a machete and carving away the blackberries to get through a spot, and I hit the limb on my bow with the machete and drove it in there about a quarter of an inch. And I wouldn't recommend people try this, but I ended up shooting two buck deer after I, you know, I, I had two more deer that I shot. The bow was still shooting good. I just peeled that sliver off. And I, like I say, I don't recommend it, but it, unbelievably tough. It was no fault of the bows that I hit it with a machete, you know? Yeah. So you're not one of these guys that, you know, travels with five bows and, you know, goes overseas and does all the you know, you've, you've done a lot of traveling the hunting. You're not one of these guys that necessarily takes five bows for five different animals and all no, that. If uh, I've carried two bows before going to Africa because I had an elephant bow with me that, you know, you're required to have a certain poundage. I believe that bow was 105 pounds. Um, that's the only time I've ever really had a need to take more than one bow. You're set up now. Um, tell me how what's your setup what are you shooting now your draw weight um axle length um and such i'm shooting a carbon spider and it's 34 i believe 34 inches long uh, axle to axle 
29 pound, I mean, 29 inch draw, 65 pounds, too many numbers going through my head here. Uh, and I'm shooting about a 440 grain arrow, 100 grain tip. Does your arrow change between blacktail hunting and elk hunting? Are you shooting the same? Arrow? I shoot the same setup anywhere from uh, little old deer all the way up to moose, brown bear, polar bear, all that stuff. It's all the way back that, to turkey? Yep, turkeys. Uh, you know what, actually, right now I'm shooting a, a, just some stuff for turkeys that I had laying around. So I'm not shooting those those ACC uh, Pro Series right now. I'm shooting some different arrows that I had from you know quite a, year, quite a few years back. Uh, I'm only shooting the turkeys at 12 yards, so it's not that big a deal. Sure, sure. And do you notice over time, does your draw length, are you shortening it up or are you still, are you still as long as you were on your draw length? Well, I'm noticing that I'm shortening it up. I'm not <laughs> as tall as I used to be, and I seem to be a little wider. Uh, my draw length seems to be pretty close to the same. Uh, I was shooting the other day, and I did notice that my draw length, you know, my bow felt a little shorter. I think it's just... It's just the bow. It's not, I don't think it has anything to do with, with me changing. Uh, I notice that my shoulders hurt more than they used to, and, you know, I'm 50. That's going to come with age. And what that comes from is years ago running the archery shop. In the old days, back in the 80s, everybody was shooting 80-something pounds, shooting overdraws, you know, 90 pounds, 100 pounds. I had a guy hand me a bow. It was 125 pounds in the shop once and didn't tell me it was that heavy. Uh, you know, all that stuff is really hard on your body in the long run. Uh, so that's why I shoot 65 pounds. I've shot everything in North America at 65 pounds. And, uh, I mean, I've shot four moose and had three complete pass-throughs on moose. Uh, you know, good sharp broadhead, a great arrow, you know, good combination. Straight on through to the other side every time. I mean, wonderful. Talk to me about uh, fixed blade broadheads versus mechanicals and your thoughts, specifically on elk, um, what your thoughts are. Well, as you know, Oregon, it's illegal to shoot uh, expandables, okay? So I shoot a mechanical broadhead and uh, – or fixed broadhead. What am I thinking? <laughs> just start you, over. You, well, just take three seconds. We'll just start over. And I saw you move and got I'm me I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I shoot a fixed broadhead. I shoot a Rocky Mountain Titanium 100, which was a great head, but they quit making them. And when they quit making them – uh, I rounded a bunch of them up and purchased them so that I would have them. And when those run out, uh, a fantastic head that's out there right now is a slick trick. Uh, I probably look at the slick tricks. They're a good, sharp head. They, they're tough and they, they seem to work real well, you know, at long range, you know? So, uh, I, I've never really had any experience with expandables other than shooting turkeys with them. So I, you know, since they're Ill illegal in our neck of the woods, I've just never shot them much. You guys down here in Arizona, you guys can use them. Uh, and have, have played with them more than I have by far. What about the single pin versus multiple pin, you know, using the slider? Or what What's your thoughts on that? I mean, I know, you know I'm shooting a single pin, and you keep telling me it's going to burn me. Well, this is a big thing right now, and I've noticed uh, there's a little trend that's coming back around, and if, I guess you've been doing it as long as I have. You're going to see these trends come, you know, come and go. Um, I saw, geez, back in the 90s there was a, you know, a time when everybody was shooting single pins. I, I jumped to a single pin and I got caught with my pants down a couple times. Once on a big black tailed deer and I got caught another time uh, on, a, on an elk. Um, what I realized is I didn't personally care for having a single pin because you take a shot, say at a bullet 30 yards, he runs out there, spins around, you cow call and stop him. And then you got to drop down in the you know little ravine and come up the other side. You know, and there he is standing there at, say, 50 yards. You want to get another one into him, and your, your pin is set for 30. It just, you can't react fast enough and be, you know, uh, I don't know. It's just hard to get, you're, you're, you're excited. It's hard to keep your composure. So what I shoot is I shoot a four-pin CBE movable. So I've got 20, 30, 40, 50, so I, I don't get caught. Uh, I could shoot to 60 yards with that. Uh, if I had to, I could put that 50 on the back of an animal and cut her loose and still be in good shape. Um, and then generally speaking, if it's like a big mule deer, if you got time and you need to move, you know, navigate to 61 yards or 53 yards or whatever it is that you need, you've got time when they're out there farther. And I use that bottom pin on that site. So you still got the ability to move, but 
you know, when you're in the woods and that bull comes through that, you know, shoot lane, you don't have to worry about is it 20, 30, 40, 50 yards. You've already got those. You've already got those pins for that. Yeah, I I know that. Um, in speaking of other gear that you use, um, we were turkey hunting and you pulled up on your phone. You had uh, Onyx maps, and I have not used that product yet. I was I was really impressed with it. Um, tell me about how, how you like Onyx maps. Well, I've been using that. Uh for quite a while now the uh what i was using is i've got a garmin uh, gps and i'll buy the chip for the state that i'm hunting and put it in there and what's really nice about that is it tells you who the landowner is you know it, and it gives you information if it's state private and, and whatnot it shows the boundaries of private versus state versus forest what boy it shows you the lot you know the, the person owns or whatever the lot is it, it you know it's all drawn out and if you're a guy that's skirting private and you want to stay, you know, you don't want to get in any trouble, this is a wonderful tool because you can just go right along the edge and you know you can say, for instance, the private's on the right and everything is good on the left. You know what I mean? So it's a it's a dynamite tool and you can actually get it for your iPhone. Uh, it's it's wonderful. You can pull up my location. It'll zero in and show right where you're at on this piece of property. Um, it's incredible. Now I just flipped from, you know, I'm technologically challenged, I should say, cause I just went from a flip phone to an iPhone and it took me a while. <laughs> you went from smoke signals to a flip phone and now you're to an iPhone. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm just learning how to run the iPhone, but you know, the GPS, I've been using it for quite a while and it's, it's absolutely incredible. And correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, when that, we were up on that point the other day and we were trying to figure out around that little bit of private you pulled up and I want to say that there was even a marker that showed us where we were in relation to where the private was. Absolutely. And that bird was gobbling or where you thought you heard the bird gobbling and we were trying to figure out how to get around it. It was pretty slick. It is. And if you figure out uh, the cost of the chip and the cost of a ticket, it's not such a big deal. You don't ever want to have a, you know, a blem on your record. And you know, those chips are $99 and you're going to have them for a long time and they'll update them for you or whatever. Uh, I'm not sure there might be a minimal cost to update it because, you know, people are changing names, you know, landowners are changing through the times. Uh, yeah, they're, they're an unbelievable tool. I noticed also, um, you're pulling a jumping jack trailer. Um, you drove down here from Washington and, um, uh, what do you think of the jumping jack? I, I got one of those jumping jack trailers. I went from a small trailer to a 32 foot fifth wheel. Uh, and then I went back to my wall tent and then I finally, through all these years, I did, I, I kept looking at these little jumping jack trailers and I finally bought one and it's one of the neatest tools I've ever had it. I can pull up into a spot and I can have my camp ready in about 15 minutes. And if say, for instance, I get there and the bulls are not there and they're say they're, you know, 35 miles away. I can go back, hook onto that thing, and in 20 minutes, you know, gather all my gear up, be over there, reset my camp, and you never even know the little trailers back there. I sat through rainstorms in the monsoons in Arizona last year and never had a drop of water get in there. It was just wonderful. Yeah, that's there. Um, I've slept in them a little bit, and you know, from the mobility standpoint and the, the you know easy access, easy in, easy out, moving camp at night, you know, shifting gears, it's it's. Sure seems like the way to go. I know several friends of mine have it. Um, yesterday we um, ventured down to see Cody at the Outdoorsman's and um, I noticed you picked up a uh, one of those new Western Hunter sleeping bags. Um, I have one. I've had one for probably 10 years and love mine. Um, it looked like a pretty pretty slick new bag. Oh, it's un- unbelievable. And I'm, you know, you know, obviously there's not a heater in the Jumpin' Jack trailer, so it's nice to have a good bag and when I was grabbing my sleeping bag for this trip, I grabbed the wrong bag and, you know, I didn't have an expander in it and I'm trying to roll around in the thing. It, <laughs> it was terrible. So I went and saw my friend Cody down there and I got a new bag. The bag is unbelievable. Uh, and I think it's going to even get down to in the, in the thirties here yeah. in, in the next couple of days. And I'm going to be hunting turkeys and I don't want to freeze. I want to be comfortable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Casey, I want to talk to you about archery elk hunting um, and if there's any other gear stuff you want to bring up we can talk about that but I want to talk about archery elk hunting and um, 63 bulls with the bow I mean was there ever a point in time when you were 
25 years old that you would even fathom that you would have 63 and and how did you know obviously you started hunting multiple states um tell me about your love of archery elk hunting well i just you know it's obvious that's where my heart is it's i love hunting i love hunting anything that's got antlers but you know we you know i've discussed this i like hunting anything that i can call in turkeys ducks geese you know moose deer whatever i just love i love calling animals in uh hunting elk it's awful nice because when i'm calling a bull in i'm in control of the situation the bull comes in i draw him into my shoot lane he's looking for me you know it's not like he's laying there and i'm sliding in and you know it you know it just for me it's just a neat way to hunt yeah i mean calling um back in i believe 96 when we met was it 96 97 97 uh, September 97, I remember, I believe the brakes were out on my truck. I was up underneath it. I think I had it half jacked up and a big truck comes rolling down the road and you and Michael Park hop out and you're looking at me like, what's, you know, you could tell I was in camo and we struck up a friendship. Um, it was, uh, pretty cool to get to meet you and go out with you and Michael when I was getting my start. And you guys really taught me a lot about uh, how to get in on those bulls and when to call, how to call, real situational. Um, you know, I probably learned more in that week of hanging out with you guys. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I, I was caught up to speed really fast. Um, in your style of elk hunting, would you consider yourself a very aggressive elk hunter? Or how, how would you consider your style? Adaptable. I would say that I adapt to every situation depending on the feel that I'm getting from the bull. Okay, so if, if this is a super aggressive bull and he's charging in, I just sit back and don't say a whole lot. Um, I have watched a lot of video of my calling bulls in. And one thing I have noticed is when I'm calling bulls in and I've got them hooked and they're coming, I never realized I did this until I watched the video. But a lot of times there's a, there seems to be a break of the last cover before they're out, you know, going to come out and show themselves. And at that last cover, I usually stop calling. I let him come searching for me. So he gets about to that last cover before he's about to pop out. I throw one more cow call out and I shut up and just let him come look for me. And uh, it's pretty interesting to see the video because I, I never realized I, I did that. It just comes, you know, it's just something that comes natural after doing it, you know, so many times. So in other words... You get them fired up, and I would say the same thing watching you hunt turkeys. You get them fired up, you get them coming, and then you you let them come to you. You play hard to get and let them search you out and seek you out a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Did it take calling too much at the wrong time and getting them finally break through and then calling when they're in the open and then they're <laughs> looking for you? Yes, and I think that that's, that can be a mistake that a lot of guys make. They get a bull out there and he's in the wide open. Let's say, let's say just for instance, he's in some, you know, foot tall grass or he's in sagebrush where he doesn't have anything between, you know, the hunter and, and, the, and the bull that gets into 80 yards. You throw a cow call out there and he can look right over there and he can't see a darn thing. He knows something's wrong. He should be seeing a lady sitting over there. So what's pretty nice is he's coming to look for you. He'll keep coming. If he decides he's going to turn around, you got nothing to lose. Throw a cow call, cup your hand, throw it, you know, one direction or the other. Try and get the, you know, throw it upwind. Try and curve that bull to come around to your upwind side. Uh, you know, it, every situation is different. And, man, you're not kidding. I have made some serious, serious mistakes hunting elk. And and the, I guess the difference between myself and a lot of folks is, is I, I try and learn from every mistake that I make. And I put it in my little computer, man, that this brain, you're picking at this brain, but this brain doesn't have a whole lot in it. <laughs> it doesn't have much room anymore. Okay. So, you know, I put it in my brain and I say, you know, the next time I can see what's happening. And then I say, wait a minute, this happened to me once before. We're not letting this happen again. We're going to do this or we're going to do that. So how much of it over time becomes instinctual because you've learned from trial and error and how much of it is that you actually processing saying, I need to do this, you know, anymore it's almost like a computer you you know you ask something of your computer and it brings it up and it, it is it has become instinctual because you know i've dealt with a lot of numbers of elk through the years you know i've, I've been fortunate enough to hunt places uh, the place that really taught me how to hunt elk was a place that I'd, I'd get into 100 150 200 head of elk a day in one herd and i could watch all the behaviors of these elk you know when they get to a fence how much they talk at a fence you know and 
I mean, just the different situations. Uh, and, you know, that's what that's what really taught me how to hunt elk was just, in, you know, getting into those kind of places like that. I know you and I have talked about um, bull elk comfort zone. Yep. And I know you're, you have a real good, strong opinion on their comfort zone. Tell me about that. Well, through years and years of chasing these bulls around, and I mean anywhere from a small bull to a great big bull, um, you'll notice sometimes, sometimes a great big bull will go in and he'll pick out one cow. He is going to try and run that whole 150 head. He goes and gets that one cow. He just walks in there, grabs her, and he goes over to a knob over there, okay, for instance. I remember a bull I shot on White Mountain. It was 360, 363 or 366. I can't remember. This bull was in a drought year. He was a tremendous bull, probably a 400-class bull in a normal year, but the drought really took its toll on him. This bull got out on her knob, and he sat there, and he had all these satellite bulls going all around, and what I noticed is this bull would come off this knob only so far. He had a comfort zone. He would just get so far out away from that cow and he'd get back. And I figured out that if I could get really close to where, you know, he was comfortable coming out, uh, try and get 20 yards, say, from that comfort zone, just try and get in there to where he would come out to that stump and then go back. I slid up there, threw out a few cow calls, and he bugled, and I cracked off a, you know, a young bull, nothing too major. And next thing you know, he was you know, in my lap. So I figured out they've got a comfort zone. Uh, they're, they're very comfortable with you sitting out there, you know, cow calling and bugling at say 200 yards or whatever, you know, but when you get in too tight, like I've, you know, you know, I've talked about this before. If you're in a bar and some guy is across the bar saying, I'm going to come kick your butt. Uh, that's one thing. But when the guy comes up and he brushes his chest up against you and says, I'm going to kick your butt. Well, you're forced to fight. Okay. So, that's kind of the way they are. You get in tight, uh, you get inside their comfort zone. And a lot of times I think that eliminates a lot of that hooking and booking where those bulls gather up their cows and go the other direction. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things I've seen a lot is, uh, you hear it all the time in the woods. You hear guys calling their way into the elk. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about maybe how you do things differently than calling your way all the way into something. Well, to start with, I never bugle to start elk, okay? I pull into a spot, and I think that there's elk out there. I cow call. That's how I start my bulls. Um, I throw a cow call out, and I can pretty much tell immediately kind of what the attitude, you know, what this bull's thinking, you know. If he if he takes a while to even kind of barely pipe off and go, whoa, okay, well, he's just laying over there, and he's just letting me know he's there. Um, if you cow call and the bull comes back, whoa, I mean, you know, this bull likes cow calls, and, you know, a lot of times I'll cow call, I'll figure out where he's at, I'll hit him again with the cow call, let him answer again, and if he keeps snapping back one right after the other, then I'll close the gap, maybe cut it in half. Cow call again, Blah! you know, and by the time he's coming my, my direction too, you know, so we're closing the distance on each other. Um, but like I say, when I get to a point where I think that that bull is about to pop out into the open where, you know, he's going to pinpoint me, I just shut up and let him come walking by. That's awesome. If if the bull is not answering you every time, what do you do differently in that situation? Well, I try and pull everything I, I can out of the bag. You know, if he's not answering every time, you know, you never know why. It could be the mood of the bull. I mean, he could be sleeping. He doesn't want to get up. Yeah, I mean, you just never know. Uh, you know, a person can use anything from raking a tree to try and get him, you know, more fired up. You can you know, and I use that on occasion on bulls that are sensitive to calling, you know, bulls that want to just every time they hear elk calling, you know, or you, you know, you push on them a little bit too hard with the elk call. They, you know, they either clam up or they, you know, walk off. Sometimes I slide in on bulls like him, you know, let him lay there and let him sleep. And I go in there and start raking a tree. And next thing you know, he figures out there's a bull, you know, that's moved in there and, you know, try and get pretty close before I do that. You know, do you think, quality of call or timing is more important as far as being a better caller and making higher quality sounds or being able to call mediocre but calling at the right time timing is everything in my opinion i think timing is everything uh there are people that are much much better elk callers than i am okay um i can go to the to the uh you know the rocky mountain elk foundation and I probably wouldn't even place. Okay, they're much, much better elk 
callers as from far sound, as from, from sound, sound perspective. Yes. Okay. But what I have is timing. I know what I need to say and when I need to say it. Okay. So, um, my calls sound just fine. Uh, maybe not in a judge's ears, but the judge that I'm worried about has got antlers and, and fur on his side. That's the one I'm concerned about. Do you see any difference in hunting, say in the Northwest, um, compared to maybe the Southwest as far as, uh, either your style or the way the, the elk bugle and react to your calling? Uh, you know, I think that the, the timing might be a little bit different as far as when the rut kicks off, um, you know, compared to home. Uh, that's the only thing that I could really see. Elk or elk to me. Um, Tule elk. I've hunted Tule elk. Those things were bugling in July. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Roosevelt elk, you know, they can a lot of times, the Roosevelt start a little sooner than the Rockies. Uh, if we're comparing Rockies to Rockies, they're fairly similar, you know, between Arizona and, you know, say Oregon or Washington. Um, they might, you know, they might go, there might be a little bit of, you know, a few days here and there, you know, difference between the prime rut or whatever, but I think it's pretty close. Speaking of states, I believe, is it New Mexico and Utah are the only two states that you haven't hunted? Well, um, you know, there's getting to be a lot of states, you know, that have elk, you know, uh, way, way over, you know, way east, and I haven't hunted all those, and I guess that's kind of a goal of mine someday to shoot some bulls, you know. Kentucky, yeah, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, yeah. Kentucky, and all that stuff, yes. But I've shot bulls in Washington, Oregon, California, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, uh, Arizona, British Columbia, you know, I don't know, I, you know, so I've hunted all over, uh, and I've seen, you know, different things, little subtle differences, but for the most part, like I say, elk or elk. And the difference between a Roosevelt's bugle and a Rocky Mountains bugle, um, is it just that the Rosies chuckle a little bit more? Yeah, you know, Rosies do. They love to grunt. Uh, they, they, they love to grunt, uh, but... Roosevelt's are funny, and I know there's been a lot of things people have said through the years about Roosevelt's, you know, being real quiet and all that stuff. They can be uh, fairly quiet at times. I know Dad shot a bull. I called a bull into seven yards for my dad, and he shot it with a rifle. It was a 345 uh, Roosevelt up in Canada. And that bull, we got within 80 yards, and I cow called, and he was in a clear cut, and you could barely hear him. He kind of just just real quiet, three little tiny chuckles, just super quiet. And if you wouldn't have been listening real hard, you wouldn't have heard it. And so I cow called at him again. And next thing you know, I could hear this. And he's just moaning. And he came up over the hill. And next thing I know, uh, you know, he was at seven yards and dad, dad cracked him with a rifle. So, you know, they can be pretty quiet. That being said, I've seen it before where they just, they scream and blow your hat off and then they grunt and i mean they, they can get after it just depends on the mood speaking of your dad i know you've called in some a bunch of bulls for your dad and you guys have hunted a bunch together um he shot some phenomenal bulls and you that you've called in <laughs> he he has we joke about it dad has shot three bulls that were my my leftover bulls that i i passed up on and then took dad back in and he shot him later and he shot three bulls one's 407 one's 424 and then i think he shot another one was 412 so <laughs> that you had passed up i never was good at math i guess <laughs> i should have shot all three of them for but, the record that'd be 10 over 400 yeah thank you i appreciate that <laughs> yeah uh, it's just fun hey to... you know what i'd rather see dad get him oh, yeah. honestly it, yeah. it is what it is those are his bulls and yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's been fun to watch you guys uh, jawbone back and forth with each other. I've seen <laughs> you guys on hunt, so it's fun. Yeah. Um, Casey, I want to talk to you about shot placement. Um, you know, shot placement when a bull's coming in. Well, first of all, first off, let me ask you: in the sixty-three bulls that you've shot with your bow, what would be the average distance if you had to take all of them? What would you say the average? Distance thirty yards. Is? Okay, thirty I, yards. I'd say thirty yards. Yeah. Okay, so. And, but you've shot or, some or closer less. at what? What's the closest you've ever shot one? Oh, probably seven yards. Okay, seven yards and ten, and maybe some out at 50. Or, yeah, a yeah. couple, couple, very but, few. But mainly you like to call them to your toes and let them rip. Absolutely, yep. And when that bull is coming in, tell me about 
your shot placement as far as are you splitting it right in half are you taking the upper two-thirds where are you where is your go zone when a bull comes in broadside i kind of like the middle of the elk and if you had to if you had to air one side or the other would you rather be a little high or a little low well this is the problem if you're right behind the shoulder and you're too low uh that can be a problem so i mean if you get too well remember michael when Michael shot that bull with, with you and I, what was that shot? That was behind the shoulder, about yeah, four you know, inches about or four or five inches behind the behind the leg line, but it was low, and that was that was a tough shot. We ended up recovering the bull, but it was a tough deal. If that same shot would have been you know five inches higher, he'd have been a dead elk immediately. Do you, would you agree that a lot of people don't realize how high up the lungs actually are? Oh, I completely agree with that. They talk about the you know the you know the hollow spot in there. Um, I've shot bulls, uh, and, and Michael, I've seen Michael shoot buck deer where Michael shot a buck deer. He broke both shoulders. He, one blade cut the spine of the deer and it clipped the top of the lungs all in the same shot. So, I mean, how can you clip the, the spine and get the top of the lungs? Michael pulled that deer apart and we looked at it all. I mean, it was right there. Uh, I have shot bulls right below the spine, you know, shot high before rangefinder days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, or maybe excited, who knows, but I shot high right below the, below the spine and ended up killing the bull. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to the moment of truth, um, over the years, how have you gotten yourself to calm down and, or how do you execute your shot? What do you tell yourself? Well, you know, every situation is different, Jay, and I don't understand it. I, you know, you would think after all the years that, that I've been doing this, you would think that you know, I hear guys tell me, oh, yeah, I don't even get nervous anymore. Uh, well, I'll tell you straight up, man, I do get nervous. I, I You've I, shot I, everything under the sun yeah, twice. You know. Yeah, and I still get excited. You know, I, and, you know, truthfully, I don't want to ever see that excitement go away. I think it's all part of a, a natural part of, you know, being a predator and, and having stuff come in. And, you know, I, I would imagine a cat when he's getting ready to catch a mouse or anything gets excited, you know. Uh, I, uh. If I have a lot of time with a bull, I, I've talked to you about this before. I got in a, I blew my back out. I was in a car wreck in 97 and I blew my back out. That was the year I met you down there and shot that bull that you weren't, you weren't around. I hadn't met you yet. I wish I'd have met you a few days earlier. Yeah. You would have helped me pack it out. <laughs> I couldn't even bend over. My back was so bad and I was popping a leave like you couldn't believe just to walk. Um, that particular bull, I ended up shooting him. Uh, all I could do was drive down the road, get out of the truck and call. And if I got an answer, I could about crawl a quarter mile away from the truck and then call the bull in. And then, and, and unbelievably, I remember that bull I shot. It yeah. was a huge bull. Four, over 400. Yeah, it's 413. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, what, what was the question? You know how I get, get rambling. The, the question was, um, what was the question? Um, the question was, how do you handle... Uh, the moment of truth on the shot? Well, the big deal is when the bulls are coming in, it depends on the bull. It depends on on what's happening. And back to that that elk. When I got hurt uh, a number of years later, 10, 15 years later, I was pulling my sock on to go on a mountain goat hunt at home. I took a shower and I was pulling my sock on. And you know how it is. The sock is a pretty heavy item. (laughs) And I blew my back out and I couldn't walk. And by the time elk season, that was in August, early August, by the time elk season got there, I'd been through physical therapy, chiropractors, everything just to get me walking again. And my wife shot a bull opening day and I couldn't even bend over to help field quarter it. My wife and my son had to do it. They left me and went home because the kids had to go to school. And I, I found a bull up in the sagebrush. The bull, you know, in late August comes walking out in Oregon. He comes walking out and he rakes a tree. And I thought, man, this bull's got a little attitude. And I called him in. And this five point, now you would think that I've shot enough bulls that this wouldn't be a big deal. Uh, This five point hung up at 80 yards, started bugling. He was going crazy. And it took about 20 minutes. And I was so excited because I knew that with my back the way it was, I knew I I wasn't going to get deep into anywhere. I wasn't going to be able to hunt far from the truck. Uh, Anyway, the bull finally came in. I shot him and I actually had to go get, you know, the ranch hands and everything else to come get that dang elk out. It was the biggest body bull I'd ever shot. It was only a five point, but I'm telling you, I had the spasms of the lower colon. I was excited, man. That thing came in and I knew it was going to be, uh, I mean, honestly, I, I was more excited on that five point bull than I've been on any 400 bull I've ever shot. Is that right? So, I mean, 
as far as trying to calm yourself down, what you're telling me is as many things as you've shot, and it's hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of animals, that you still get excited. You really don't have an exact answer of how to I calm yourself I don't know how to control down. it. I kind of try and talk myself through it if I can, try and breathe, you know, and just try and... But man alive, it's hard to control. It really is. And so for people to say, oh, you do this or you do that, for you yourself, you're saying you just try and calm as much as you can, try and breathe, but you still get excited. I do. I, I do. And like I say, I think that's all part of the hunt, and I hope it doesn't go away. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's great. What are, what are some common mistakes that you think people make when they're trying to hunt elk, either for the first time or... Or people that are veterans? What, what do you think mistakes they make are? I don't know. You know, if it was mistakes in calling, uh, it, I think timing, like we've discussed, is everything. They may be calling too much or too little. Uh, I know that call, calling uh, is a complete confidence thing. Uh, you know what to say, when to say it. You know, I mean, when I go out there with my elk call, that thing is a tool. I will not leave the house without it to go elk hunting. Uh, I know what to say, when to say it. And, and I've got confidence in it. Uh, I think a lot of people, uh, they're, they, they call a little too little or not maybe call too much. They call with a lack of confidence. They don't have that confidence and they're not sure when, the, you know, when to call. And the only way you can learn that is just by simply watching videos. Um, you know, you could watch a lot of Will Primo stuff. You, you know, a lot of things that are out there. You can watch these bulls and you watch these guys that have killed lots of elk and just kind of get onto their timing and figure it out. Uh, Elk calling is a tremendous tool. I, I couldn't even imagine hunting elk or turkeys or ducks or anything else without a call. You know, you, yeah. you know, for you, the love of it is calling. I know. And, and for me, uh, you know, with turkey hunting and, and elk hunting specifically, honestly, people ask me, well, do you want to go hunt, you know, a late, late elk hunt? I just tell them, look, if they're not bugling, I don't really want to hunt them. No. And it's like, you know, fall turkey. If they're not calling and they're not gobbling, I'm not interested. I got other things to That's do. That's right. I agree completely. And, and nothing against people that like hunting that kind of no, stuff, no, no. but for me, it's all about the calling. It's it about is. the interaction. Yeah. It I, sounds like we're real similar. I want to hear that turkey gobble. I mean, yeah. that's why I'm there. And that's why I like hunting turkeys. It reminds me a lot of elk hunting. And I guess the folks out there, you know, if you could ever understand this, you get a bow and arrow in your hands and go out there and hunt turkeys with your bow and arrow and perfect that, man, you've come a long ways uh, in your elk hunting game. I mean, it's, you know, you're, 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 you're hunting a critter that's got eyeballs in the back of his head. Everything out there wants to eat him. And that's what I love about them. They're a great challenge with the bow. Yeah, and the other thing I like about turkeys too is with all of the trophy judging and field judging and, you know, trying to, you know, beat your <laughs> next bull and, you know, succeed. Yep. I mean, you're kind of like me. I mean, you just shot the turkey. We didn't measure the beard. We didn't measure the spurs. We don't really care. It came in gobbling. It was strutting, and that's the fun part of it. That's right. And it's sometimes, for me, a relief to turkey hunt because, you know, people ask, well, what the beard? How long was the beard? I, was, I don't know. It was a beard. Nine, <laughs> ten inches? I don't know. Right. Uh, you know, and how long were the spurs? You know, it's like, uh, he had spurs. I don't know. You know, <laughs> exactly. And, whereas... You know, sometimes with our elk and, you know, it's easy. You have the number two and number three non-typical Pope and Young animals in the world. It would be real easy to to base the quality or your of your experience or the hunt upon if you shot a big enough bull and, and everything's about inches. And while you and I both like inches, it's sometimes refreshing just to hunt for just a complete fun of it. I agree. Yeah, yeah completely. What do you say to the guys um, that say that big bulls can't be called, they're call shy, um, you know, we've all heard it, or, or, oh, or sure. th those elk don't bugle anymore because they're, you know, been called to too much? Come visit my trophy room, you know, is what I say. If You, you know, I, I can show you time and time again, and I mean, obviously, Jay, you were with, you know, you were with me in Unit 3C years and years and years ago when we, you know, we were hunting there. Um, a 350 bull is no different than a 413 bull. I mean, you know, truthfully, we aged a bunch of the bulls that we've shot through the years, and a number of those 400 bulls are seven years old. I mean, they're not that old. Right. Uh, a 350 bull could be, heck, you just never know on the 350 bull. He could be 10, 12, 14 years old. You don't know, you know, he just may not have had what it takes to get those. So elk are elk to me. Uh, I don't care where they are. I don't care how old they are. Elk are elk. If spike bull, 
three-point or a three-year-old bull or a, I killed one bull that was 440 and an eighth and he was 13 years old. And he came in just like a three-point bull or a three-year-old bull would. You know, he just came right in. Don't you think, though, when people say elk can't be called in and they're call shy, that's not really call shy. It's more people shy. And it's more the fact that they they know you're there and that they smell you or that they've heard you and, and they right. sense a human. Your call isn't good enough. The quality of your sound, maybe sure. the timing of your sound. They hear the pickup pull up. They hear, you know, the door close. They hear... I mean, it's, it could be a number of things that can set off a bull and let him know. I mean, they can hear a lot more than you think. You know, I've, I've hunted with fellows before that, you know, you're in an area, you're in a zone, and I'm, I'm, I'm whispering to this guy. And then he just starts talking back in a normal tone of voice. How far do you think they can hear that? When you're on a mountaintop, long way. you can hear that, that. That noise can carry a long way. So all it can be is just a simple mistake like that. There are bulls that are very difficult to call in, but that same bull that is hard to call in today might come in tomorrow just like nothing, you know, just just like a little bull. You know, he just might come walking right in. I think it I think it depends on the timing. Uh, I think any bull can be shot with a bow and called in or shot with any weapon for that matter, can be called in at any time. It just you never know when the timing is, you know. I, I wanna bounce back to something we were talking about earlier. Um we were talking about, you know, your bow and your setup, and I know there's the big, um, not controversy, but there's guys on the speed side, there's guys on the accuracy side. Where do you fall on the spectrum as far as speed versus accuracy? You know, it's really funny you should mention that. I shot with Randy Ulmer the other day. Uh, I stayed at Randy's house, and we shot out there, and I finally drug my bow out and did a little bit of shooting, which is highly embarrassing to shoot with Randy Ulmer. He, <laughs> he's such an excellent shot, you know, and he's one of my idols. So I shot with Randy the other day, and I told Randy I was, I was going to shoot a downrange target, and I could see some branches hanging down there. I said, Randy, I don't think that I can clear those branches you know, because I'm only shooting 265 feet per second. And he says, oh, that's all I'm shooting, you know, 265, 275. I was really surprised to hear that that Randy, you know, was shooting uh, a slower setup, okay? And it's funny I should say slower because in, in, in the day when I was running an archery shop, 220 was everything we could do, you know, you know, to get to there, 230. Uh, now 265, you know, would not be considered a hot bow or real fast. Um, I always would prefer accuracy, and I've had friends talk to me about this before. Um, not everybody can drive a car 200 miles an hour around a racetrack. Not everybody can shoot a bow at 300 feet per second, especially when you start putting a broadhead on it. it. It can magnify your mistakes. So I like to keep it to where I can be. I know where I'm in control. That's, you know, for me, I like to keep around that 265 to 275 range. Okay, so you're definitely siding on, on, on the accuracy. Absolutely. i got to be able to hit what I'm aiming at. Absolutely. Um, guys you respect in the industry? There are so many. It's so, so hard to get into this. But uh, I can remember doing my super slam and being on the last animal. It was my brown bear hunt, sitting in the tent, thinking of all the guys that had been there before me, Chuck Adams, uh, you know, Tom Hoffman's, Jack Frost, Darren Collins, now, all these guys that, that have been there before me and they finished and I was on the 10th day of my hunt and hadn't killed a brown bear yet. It was the last night of the hunt and I shot my brown bear and I, and, and what goes through your mind is all the guys that have been there before, all those guys that have been there, all the hunts they've been on to get to that super slam. Uh, I'm number 19, I think. And I think my cousin Alfredo just finished with number 25. I think he's number 25. So uh, I respect all the guys that have done it, and there's a ton of guys that are just everyday welders and and uh, iron workers and 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 framers and you know just normal everyday guys that go out there and get it done. And those guys got all I've got you know tons of respect for all those guys too. I love anybody that wants to get out there and get it done. You know I know I went to the National Wild Turkey Federation with you back in Nashville and and you know, guys coming up to you and, and saying hi and such. It's nice to know that, you know, knowing you like I do, it's, it was fun to see you interacting with people and talking to people. And, and, um, 
what a lot of guys don't understand is guys like yourself, you're just normal guys. You just like to, you know, you like to feel the wiggle on the end of your, your, your rod and you like to see things wiggle after you shoot. I mean, it's, sure. it's, you put your pants on just like everybody else does. Yep. That's, yeah. that's for sure. One leg at a time, as long as my back doesn't go out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's fun stuff. Um, oh, that's great. Would do you have anything that you would like to add as far as any tips for someone that's maybe getting their first start in archery elk hunting? You know, one of the things that was really, you know, hunting public ground and I've hunted pu- public ground a lot. Um, one of the things that I can, I can go back to is when times get tough and you're having a difficult time getting on a bull, one of the things that we used to go back to is AM bugling. We would go out at night. We'd make sure that we didn't have any weapons in the car. We would go around at night and, and cow call and, and locate bulls and mark them on the GPS and then go to the next spot. And, of course, in the beginning, we didn't even have GPSs, but now it's nice because you can go around. You can drive a certain route. You can mark everything with the GPS. And the bulls are likely to go off, if, I mean, honestly, if, even if they're only, you know, 100 yards from the truck. In the dark, they're not going to care as much. Um, and then what you can do, you know, come 4 in the morning when you get up or, you know, or 5 or whatever, uh, you go back, you say, okay, the hottest bull was this one on the GPS right here, and we're going to go back there. You pull up a couple hundred yards short. You don't want to pull right up on top of them, you know, a couple hundred yards to slide a half in, mile right. or whatever it is, or, you know, and then slide in, give them a little bit of time. And you've already got, you know, an advantage over everybody else that's been sleeping in their tent all night. You've already got a bull located. You're on him. Your truck's parked there. You're ready to go, you know. So that was a that helped me a lot covering country at night and trying to locate as many elk as you can yeah uh get definitely it's it's amazing and if you have a buddy you can cover two different ways have him go one way you go another uh, and you can cover a unit real quick absolutely and you've talked about it with me before even you know hunting the places i have here in arizona you know getting out there at night and finding that meatball finding that that big mosh pit where all the bulls are just you know and they got a hot cow there if you can find that, I mean, that's money. You know, obviously it's hard to hide that in the daylight because they're making so much noise and that's going to draw attention and bring people. But if you can be in that draw that they happen to be in, come right at daylight, you know, everyone else is just getting out of their truck. Yeah, um, absolutely. I want to finish today and talk a little bit about the wind and your calling in relationship to the wind. You hit it a little bit early, but obviously wind is everything when you're elk hunting. And, you know, let's say a bull straight out in front of you and the wind is blowing from your right to left. And you're going to want that bull, obviously, to come in on the upwind side. Yes. He's Every time, he's going to try and come in from your calling position on the downwind or if you're looking straight out on the left side. That's it. So what do you do to try and get him to always come on your upwind side? A lot of times, uh, I always blow it to the upwind side. I kind of take my hand, cut my hand, and throw that call off, say, in this instance, like you're saying. I would throw it out to the right, upwind. And try and get that bull to, to drag off to the right side there. Um, when the bull gets into the shoot lane, you know, hopefully sometimes they go completely right of you and they go by you at 20 yards. And when he gets into the shoot lane, I've got it predetermined where it's at. I draw my bow. When he goes behind that tree, when he steps in the shoot lane, I've got a diaphragm in my mouth. My mouth. I cow call, stop the bull, uh, let him have it. And immediately I start cow calling, okay, and try and stop the bull. You can slow the bull down uh, tremendously just by calling. He's not sure what happened. Uh, in that same scenario, if the bull's out in front of you and the wind's blowing to your left, if you turn your hand and point it to the left, he, re- he wants to come downwind from you already. So you're just encouraging the bull to come downwind. And then what you're going to do is you're going to worry about trying to get him shot before he gets to that wind. And the problem with that is he may be quartering towards you, which might be a serious issue. Do you ever in that situation... It- um, if you have that bull coming in and you're trying to angle your call, a lot of times they come straight in on you yeah. because they are hedging where, you know, yeah. you can only project your call so much upwind 
that a lot of times they come right at you. That's right, because they're trying to get to the downwind side of that call. And and let me ask you about the the, 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 the head-on shot. Would you take it? And if you would, at what distance would you is okay? Okay, well, this is the deal with the straight-on shot. Uh, Randy Ulmer, Randy and I have discussed this a number of times, uh, and Randy will tell you he's never shot one straight-on, so he doesn't recommend it. From his standpoint, he always prefers to try and get him sideways, which is the safe way to go always. If you can get him sideways, we love that. I've probably shot 12 to 15 bulls straight on and never lost one, okay? And the difference is, and Randy and I talked about this at the house the other night, is knowing where to shoot him straight on. Um, you know, you probably could look on the Internet and figure it out. It's right here. In between your collarbones, those little bumps, you can feel there's a little hole that goes into your esophagus right there. I love that shot. I wouldn't recommend it beyond 20 yards, 30, you know, 25 yards. Uh, it's a small kill. I mean, you're shooting at a, at a, a baseball. Um, and I'm shooting a very sharp broadhead and shooting a good stiff arrow. So um, it's worked for me wonderfully. I have no problem with shooting a bull straight on. But I like him close. It's not a shot for, for 30, 40 yards. It's not something that I would prefer to do. I'm sure it can be done, but I'm just saying your margin for error is just a little higher if you know the farther you get out. And with that being said, I have a question about um, when when you go after you've shot a bull, um, what is the minimum that you will wait to go look for that bull? It depends on the shot. Um, if the shot placement is wonderful, uh, broadside shot, you know, right behind the shoulder, you know, in the middle of the elk, uh, you throw a few cow calls out there, you're going to see that elk. Typically, you're going to see that or hear that, hear that bull tip over by the time he gets to 50 yards, okay? It's going to happen quick. If it's a quartering towards me shot and I get one lung liver and back in the guts, that bull's going to get mm, five, six, seven, eight hours. I'm going to give him some time. Um, if he's gut shot, he's going to sit there for, you know, a, a good long time, 12, 14 hours before I go in. So you're going to wait and it all depends on the shot. Yep. Um, if you know you pinwheeled him, but you don't see him fall, you see him staggering, no. you're recommending 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. If he's, if it's just an absolute taco right behind the shoulder and it's a beautiful shot and he was sideways, um, you know, you got to remember this is bow hunting. Uh, where I bow hunt in places, it could be 85 degrees during the day. I don't want my, my dinner sitting there any longer than it has to. If I know I drilled the bull and he ran over there, I'll probably get on him very slowly, start working that direction probably in 15, 20 minutes. I don't wait an hour if it's a perfect shot because by the time you get there, you got a heated up, stiffed up bull. You know what I mean? If I know it's a perfect shot. And when you're sliding in, you're all, all senses are on, on go. And let's say he lifts his head. What is your what is your thought process as far as are you shooting him anywhere you can shoot him? Get another yep. arrow. I, in I, him? I need to if if all I can see is lift their head, I need to get another arrow into him. So yes, I try and get another arrow into him, and and uh, you know hopefully that doesn't happen. That's you know that's something that nobody wants to experience, but uh, the reality is is it could happen. So uh, and do you always go in on the tracks or? If you think he might be aware, do you go in downwind or do you just slide always, in really, really slow? I always stay on the track. I never get off the track. Um, just because you don't know if that bull went left or right or what he did, you know. Or like, you know, what a guy could do is you could have one guy on the track and one guy skirting and watching your every move and trying to get a different angle to looking in there. But, you know, it'd have to be somebody I really trusted, somebody that could shoot. And, you know, it, and that would be in a marginal situation where, you know, we've got a bull that, that wasn't hit well, and, and we've given him a bunch of time. And, you know, I don't know. It's it's a tough call all the way around. You just got to make your best decision. Uh, I can tell you this, that if you go in too soon on a gut shot bull, you'll never see him again. You know, it's one yeah. of those things that you just don't want to rush it. Yeah, and there's definitely a fine line there. Well, buddy, that was uh, a great uh, time you spent in here with us, and it's been fun watching your success over the years, and it's going to be fun to watch you continue to – you know, watching, hunting with you for this turkey. I mean, we both got as excited on that turkey as, you know, if it was a 500-inch elk. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's the joy of it. And it's um, just been fun to watch your progress. And, and uh, 
I know how much you love to fish and, and um, you know, hunt ducks and everything. So um, I commend you on that and, and getting your boys involved. And I uh, look forward to seeing all the stuff that you shoot here in the future. And I appreciate you being with us. Well, hey, thanks for taking the time to talk to a little guy like me. I really appreciate it. And I, uh, you know, I just want to say to everybody that's listening out there, you know, I wish you the best of luck. I hope that one little tip, one little thing off this podcast could maybe help you to, to get a little closer to a bull and get a shot. And uh, if you do happen to get something killed, uh, look me up on Facebook. I'm an idiot on, on computers. I'm terrible. Like I say, I just went from a flip phone to, <laughs> to, to, to this new phone. Uh, I'm not good at responding, but I love looking at pictures. So, you know, I can only search and peck, you know, for so long. And I just go stir crazy on those computers. So, Anyway, I'll look me them. up and friend me, yeah. and, you know, I'd be glad. To, I'd love to look at pictures, and, you know, I'll give you a congrats or whatever, you know, but I, I just, I, I'm good at talking on the phone, but I'm terrible about, <laughs> about pushing buttons. I'll put a link on this um, podcast uh, to Casey Brooks' Facebook page. Uh, go on there and um, give him a like, give him a friend, and um, stay in touch with him. It's nice having you, and... Um, Thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you so much for having me and everybody out there. Best of luck on your 2015 hunting season. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.